Last weekend, we were in the Chicago suburbs to witness our grandson Max's baby dedication. While we were in the Chicago area, on Saturday, we pulled into a drive-thru, and I placed our order. When I came to the first window to pay, I handed the worker my debit card. And for some reason, after paying, the line we were in didn't move for like five minutes. (laughs) Imagine that, right? And while I'm getting frustrated with that, I'm also realizing there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm getting frustrated, and I thought, well, I just need to distract myself. So I started thinking about other things. Well, the line finally started moving. We finally got up to the second window, and I handed my debit card to the worker. She looked at me quizzically and said it was already paid for. And I asked her, who paid for it? (laughs) True story. Beth and I look at each other. We think, oh, we just got blessed by the person in front of us. So we start waving to the car in front of us. And we're mouthing words like, thank you, thank you. And then I turned back and I looked inside this drive-thru window and the worker's now huddled up with two or three other workers. She's looking at the screen, she's pointing at me and she opened the window and she said, that family up there didn't pay for your food. And then I realized that I had already paid at the first window. Man, isn't it easy to get distracted and end up getting things wrong and forgetting important details. And I submit, as we get older as Christians, it's easy for us to forget the essential truth of the gospel. And here it is, that Jesus Christ has paid the price for everything. The passage we're going to be studying today contains the essence of the grace of the gospel, and this passage today has been used by God to bring many to salvation, and I've been praying that that would happen today, right here in the sanctuary or as you're engaging online. I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's give our attention to God's living and active word We're in Ephesians chapter 2 as we work our way through this incredible book. Let's continue to worship as we read, reminding ourselves that this is God's inspired and inerrant and authoritative word, which means when he says it, that settles it, right? So let's read together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can be seated. Here's a summary of where we're headed. God saves dead sinners by his grace, all for his glory, leading us to do deeds of service. Now, this passage begins with our condition apart from Christ. And frankly, it's brutal. So buckle up as we go through these verses, our plight, we were dead in sin. Listen again to verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That word dead, there's no way to soften it. It literally means a corpse. Ray Pritchard writes, when God looks down from heaven, the whole world looks like a cemetery to him. All he sees are dead people. And above every corpse is a three-word epitaph. Dead through sin. Now, this is an absolute and universal statement. It's not a figure of speech. Life without Christ is a living death. One commentator remarked, Paul's use of the metaphor of death is significant as it allows for no middle ground. A person is either dead or alive. Now, the word trespasses refers to wrongdoing. It was used of slipping, slipping and falling like, well, like some of us have done this winter. The term sins refers to missing the mark. The Puritans called this the exceeding sinfulness of sins. Oh, would you observe these terms are in the plural, which means we fall short repeatedly and continuously. In fact, we once walked or lived in our trespasses and sins leading to death. Let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 2.17, God gave a warning to Adam to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, according to verses 2 and 3, we were controlled by three enemy forces. The first, the world. The world is powerful. We follow the course of this world. Kent Hughes writes, those without Christ are captive to the social and value system of this present age, which is hostile to Christ. Notice enemy number two, the devil. We read this, we followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Satan is described as the prince of demons, Matthew 9, 34, as the ruler of the world, John 12, 31. So let me bring this to where we live today. Perhaps you saw the story I read it on ourquadcities.com on Friday about middle of the day, a report that the Satan Club is now back at Jane Addams Elementary School in Moline. And when I read that, it, it triggered a memory of when they first came in some two years ago, and, 
And I sat down and, and wrote out a prayer, and, and I'd like to pray that prayer right now. I invite you to pray it with me if you'd like a copy of it. I did make some hard copies of that. They're available in the lobbies. But pray with me. Here's how I began. As we hear the news about the return of the after-school Satan Club at an elementary school in Moline, my mind goes to these words from a mighty fortress is our God. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Let's pray, almighty God. We thank you that you are the victor, and though Satan is a liar, a thief, and a murderer, he is a vanquished foe. We affirm that Jesus has defeated death and depravity and the devil through his substitutionary death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. As Ephesians 1.21 says, the Lord Jesus Christ is now seated at your right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. O Lord of glory, we come before you on behalf of our community once again, and we ask for protection for precious students made in your image. And may the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to be spread through groups like the Good News Clubs, through ministries like Youth Hope, through quest clubs in our elementary schools, along with Young Life and Fellowship of Christian Athletes in our high schools. Oh, would you stir within parents and grandparents to live for you so they can imprint your word on the hearts of the next generation. And God, may you use this situation to wake us up, to alert us to the reality of evil so that parents, grandparents will introduce their kids, their grandkids to the life-changing message of the gospel. Would you continue to equip children's ministry directors and youth pastors in our churches as they seek to evangelize and equip students? Thank you for gospel-preaching pastors in our community. May you embolden them to preach with conviction about sin and the reality of Satan while being compassionate towards sinners who need to hear about the bondage-breaking power of the cross. And we ask that those teachers, staff, and administrators who are followers of Christ will continue to represent you well, using their positions as platforms for ministry. We pray specifically that this group will not gain any traction in our schools. We pray against the devil and his demons, recognizing that the real battle in this present darkness is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remind us to take up the spiritual armor you have provided for us so we can withstand evil by standing firm in Christ, knowing that for the believer, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Awaken us, O Lord, to the need for revival and mobilize your followers to live on mission for your glory and for the good of our community. We echo the words of a prayer from the Valley of Vision. I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. And when I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. 
We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Here's something I'm praying. I'm praying that we'd see more people serving with ministries like Child Evangelism Fellowship, that we'd see more clubs, Bible clubs, good news clubs in our schools, and perhaps God is prompting you uh, to get more involved. And so we see the world as an enemy, the devil, and we're seeing an example of that in our own community. And thirdly, our flesh And so we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Someone who's controlled by the flesh, you just do whatever you want to do. If you want something to make you happy, you seek pleasure, whatever you want to do, you're just controlled by the flesh. I heard about a young girl who was disciplined by her mother for kicking her brother and pulling his hair. Sally said the mother, why did you let the devil let you kick your little brother and pull his hair? To which Sally answered, well, the devil made me kick him, but pulling his hair was my idea. (laughs) So we have the world, we have the devil, and our own flesh. They're all at war, and they're after us. And the world dominates lost people from without, the flesh from within, And the devil does his work from beyond. And as a result, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So by nature, we are sinners who lead wretched and wayward lives, which lead us to be under the wrath of God. Now, at this very moment, everyone who is not saved is facing an outpouring of God's wrath. Now, that's not pleasant to think about. That's certainly not politically correct. It's certainly not popular. But according to John 3.36, it's totally true. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We could say it like this. It's a strong statement, but true. Everyone who is not yet saved is in the Satan club. Now, many churches have stopped preaching that everyone without Christ is spiritually dead, even removing God's righteous wrath from sermons and Sunday school classes. They extol God's love while excising his holiness soft-pedaling sin, excusing depravity, cheapening grace, elevating the goodness of humanity, and defaulting to psychobabble. Brothers and sisters, settle this. We are not only dead. The Bible says we were also disobedient and depraved and doomed and under God's wrath. We were in a bad, bad spot. Now, this is a hard message, but unless we know we are dead apart from Christ, his death and his resurrection will make no sense to us. If you don't yet know Christ through the new birth, you are in a very precarious position right now. We must first know the bad news before the good news will make sense. One of my seminary professors was Dr. Erwin Lutzer, 
Dr. Lutzer is the pastor emeritus at Moody Church in Chicago, and I had the privilege of being taught apologetics by Erwin Lutzer. Apologetics is uh, uh, ways to defend our faith, looking at the evidence for our faith. He also taught preaching courses. I guess I should have taken a preaching course from him, but... I had him for apologetics, but he had a reputation on campus when he would come on, and every year he would take his preaching students on a field trip. Do you know where they would go? To a local cemetery. He would have them gather around a tombstone, and he'd tell one of the young preaching students to preach the gospel to Mr. Smith here. And after allowing the student to stutter and stammer with his impromptu sermon for a few minutes, Dr. Lutzer would start preaching with great passion, concluding with these words, Sir, Jesus died for your sins, and you must put your faith in him for salvation. Now, Lutzer had the full attention of all of the students, and he took advantage of that teachable moment. This is what he says, quote, This is no different than preaching the gospel to unsaved people. The Bible says that they are dead in their sins. You can preach your heart out, but nothing will happen unless God does a miracle to give them the life to listen. Incidentally, I highly recommend one of Dr. Lutzer's most recent books. It's called No Reason to Hide, and it's available at our Cafe Resource Center Adele Jensen is taking his Thursday men's group through that book. So after allowing us to feel the full force of our deadness and our depravity, oh, the mood changes. Paul now celebrates how God has provided a solution. God saves dead sinners by his grace for his glory, leading us to deeds of service. Notice next, God's provision, he makes us alive with Christ. In the midst of our hopelessness, our helplessness, listen to these two potent words from the first part of verse 4. But God. But God. These are two of the best words in the entire Bible. They're found together some 45 different times. That word but serves as a contrast. We were dead, but God. We were serving sin, but God. We were disobedient, but God. I think of Acts 7, 9 and 10, the patriarchs jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's personalize it. Are you in a storm right now? Remember, but God. Are you struggling? But God. Are you in a cycle of sin you don't know how to break out of? But God. When you pray for Pastor Dan, remember, but God. In fact, I want to give a greeting to Pastor Dan. He's engaging in worship with us this morning. Actually, let's let's just clap for Dan so he hears it. Yeah. So before giving up, you may need to say this phrase out loud, but 
God. Say it as many times as you need to. You see, God has a solution for our situation, no matter how severe it is. He loves to bring hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. When it feels like there's no way, Yahweh makes a way. This past week, when I was meditating on this phrase, I went into Lynn Johnson's office. Lynn is our office assistant, and I noticed on her desk, she has this card. It's actually on her desk. It's a bumper sticker, and I'm like, Lynn, this is what we're talking about this weekend, and I noticed, I asked her where she got it. She said she got it from Christar, which is a mission organization that we partner with. And down at the bottom, there's a web address. And so I went there, and they have a section on their site called But God. And I found this information. There are more than 1.9 billion people who are followers of Islam. But God. Over half a million Buddhists still live without the hope of Christ. But God. 4.5 billion people don't have access to the word of God, but God. And there are over 7,000 unreached people groups today, but God. Speaking of unreached peoples, Emma Janicek is leading the movement team, which gets together once a month to pray for unreached people groups. And if you're interested in that, you can make a note on the card in front of you or contact the church office. Now, as a way for us to be reminded that God is always at work, Lynn made hundreds of these cards that are available at both entrances. And if this would be helpful for you, pick one up and put it on your desk, on your fridge, over your kitchen sink, in your bathroom mirror, on the dash of your car. See, no matter what happens, get in the practice of quickly saying, but God. So when we were dead in our sins, look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. God's mercy is rich. His love is great. I think of Psalm 51.1, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 5 tells us that we're not only loved, we're also given life. We're given life. By grace, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We're told the second time we were dead in our trespasses, so there can be no doubt. We're not simply sick people who need help. We are dead people needing life. And we have been quickened by Christ, and we've moved from death to life, all through his amazing grace and his mercy and his love. Jesus said it like this in John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour's coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. We've been made alive together with Christ. And according to verse 6, God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, we don't need a simple realignment. We need a resurrection. And one commentator remarked, no one can crawl from a casket. He or she must be made alive together with Christ. We don't need some self-help mantra. We need to realize that through faith in Christ, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. God gave us love. He gave us life. And he gave us a lift. 
And our biggest God moment, our biggest but God moment is when he saved us from our sins. When we went from death to life all by his grace and for his glory. Baptism is a wonderful picture of that. Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have many already signed up for our next baptism. God saves dead sinners by his grace, all for his glory, leading us to deeds of service. Number three, look at his plan to display his grace. Shortly after the Lord saved me as a 19-year-old in college, it was maybe a year, I'm fuzzy on when it happened, but I remember I was attending a church and I had told somebody how I had become a Christian that my college roommate had led me to Christ and this person said to me, you are a trophy of God's grace. And I'm like, what? I didn't know what that meant. I still not wasn't exactly sure what that meant until this week in reading verse 7 when I discovered that dead, depraved, and doomed people who've been brought to life through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, watch this, are put on display like trophies for the world to see so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness, notice toward who? Toward us, toward believers in Christ Jesus. That phrase, so that, means for the purpose of. The word show means to point out or to display. So God brings dead sinners to life in order to display his surpassing riches, the riches of his grace in kindness, both now and note, in the ages to come, here on earth and even in heaven. God delights to show great grace to great sinners. And if you're saved, you are a trophy of God's grace. Beth, that means you're a trophy of God's grace, even when you don't feel like it. For all of us, it's all his grace. And in that sense, then, our church is a trophy case of lives that he has brought from death to life, that he has redeemed for his glory. Notice next God's promise to save us through faith. We come now to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a passage many of us have committed to memory. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, so that, or not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our salvation is not something we can earn. Some of you need to hear that because you're trying to perform. And salvation is not about doing penance, trying to pay off the sins you've committed. No, it's a free gift. It's a free gift from God. And this is emphatic in the Greek. It reads like this, of God. It is the gift. 
So we appropriate salvation by faith, not by works. We trust in the finished work of Jesus, not in our works. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Luke 7, 50. Your faith (laughs) has saved you. Go in peace. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So in order to be saved, we must first recognize that we are sinners under the wrath of God. And the battle cry of the Reformation was that we are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ, for the glory of God. And the five solas capture that well. In Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. I turn to Pastor Ray again. He writes, God specializes in saving really bad people. Grace also means that some people may be too good to be saved. That is, they may have such a high opinion of themselves that they think they don't need God's grace. They may admit they're sinners, but they don't admit that they're spiritually dead. God's grace cannot help you until you are desperate enough to receive it. So grace is the source, faith is the means, and salvation is the result. As Martin Luther said, our situation is so hopeless that salvation must come from another place. God saves dead sinners by his grace, all for his glory, leading us to deeds of service, which now leads to verse 10, our purpose to do deeds of service. Let me make sure we get this straight. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. Works are the fruit of salvation. They're not the root of our salvation. Oh, join me in verse 10. And I hope this verse just just explodes with meaning for us today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship comes from the word which we get poem. It referred to an author's magnum opus, or his greatest achievement. In other words, a masterpiece. I'm reminded of what Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing. He's chipping away at this shapeless rock. This was his reply. I'm liberating an angel from this stone. (laughs) The word created means to form or to shape, to make something out of nothing. So watch this. When God saves a sinner, a new person is formed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we've been recreated for good works. I'm reminded of the boy who was acting up in his Sunday school class. The teacher asked him, said, why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? The boy replied, well, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. (laughs) Notice the purpose behind this. God does his work in us and for us so we will walk in his works that he has prepared for us to do. So if you're saved, God has called you to serve him. 
It's part of his plan. It's part of his purpose for your life. He's prepared you to do the works that he has prepared for you to do. And the good works God has for us, no, were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This literally means to make ready beforehand. So God has not only prepared us for good works, he's prepared good works for us to do. So the deeds that God wants us to do are already there. He's already laid those out. This means I don't have to search hard for what God wants me to do today. My job is to simply walk in the works that God has prepared for me to do and be responsive when these opportunities present themselves. Early this past Tuesday morning, I went out to Moody Radio to share a monthly devotional. And as you may know, Moody Radio is one of our Go Team partners. Our on-mission sermons, our weekend sermons are broadcast at 11 a.m. and 7.30 on Sundays. They're one of our Go Team partners. Well, anyway, that station is out in the middle of a cornfield. It's between Coal Valley and Orion. And the roads Tuesday morning were very icy, and there was a lot of fog. So I drove very slowly. And on my way back, I noticed a car had gone through the snowbank and had landed like 30 yards in a field. And I could tell as I was creeping up, I was driving slowly, I saw the car there. I could tell the car was still running. So this had just happened right before I got there. And so I remember thinking, somebody should help them. (laughs) And then I thought, "Uh, that someone is me. And so I pulled over, turned my blinker, my flashers on, got out of the car, went into the snowbank and almost lost my life. (laughs) That was deep. Pulled my way out, walked across the field. And as I'm approaching this car, trudging through the snow, I could see the car was still running. I started to get nervous. Here's why. Because I don't do so well around blood. And I had no idea what I was going to find. At that moment, I wished that our paramedic pastor, Chris, was along with me. But I said, okay, I'm here. There was no one else around. So I knocked on the passenger window And there was a pause, and then the window came down, and I looked inside. There were three guys inside. All the airbags had gone off. They were all upright. In fact, they were calling for help. I said, hey, are you guys okay? They said that they were fine. And so then I decided, since it was already kind of awkward, I decided to make it a little more awkward, and I said, could I pray for you guys? And they were like, uh, sure. So they bowed their heads, and I said a prayer. And um, then I left when I realized real help was on the way and trudged back to my car and was on my way. That probably took six minutes, maybe five minutes. I share that with you because I didn't plan to do that. It just was there. And likewise today, as you and I go about our day this week, God has works prepared beforehand that he wants us to walk in. And the truth that God is good work for me to do every day brings me great comfort because I don't have to go looking hard for it. Not up for us to figure out what we should do for 
God. God has already taken care of that. It's up to us to find out what God has prepared for us. Sometimes I wonder how many times I've missed those good works because I said no too quickly or I was too busy or too lazy or too wrapped up in my own selfishness, my own schedule. Man, Edgewood is full of servants who have discovered the joy of walking in the good works that God has prepared for them to do. I think of Nan Norcross and Patty Steele. They have been discipling our first and second grade girls. About a year ago, I visited their class to thank them for making cards for me. They wrote me some encouragement cards. And what a delight to observe Nance here on the left, Patty on the right, to watch them communicate the grace and glory of the gospel to these young image bearers. Nan has been teaching for 62 years. Yeah. And one reason I'm highlighting Nan and Patty, because together they've been serving in children's ministry for 118 years. Patty has served for 56 years, and today is Nan's last day uh, teaching the first and second grade girls due to some health issues. And, And when I talked to her on the phone today, she said, oh, that just means God has something else for me to do. She said, I'm going to plan to attend the 1045 service, but I'm promising to pray one hour every Sunday from 9 to 10 o'clock. And I'm going to pray for the ministry of Edgewood. I'm going to pray for people and our missionaries. So I asked Nan while she was on the phone if she could come up front so we could celebrate and thank her. She paused and said, no. (laughs) She said, it's all for God's glory. And then I had a second question. I said, well, Nan, could you just stand where you are in the back of the room? Pause, no. (laughs) I don't want any attention. And so my third question was, well, can I put this picture up? I put this picture up some time ago. And she said, yes, you can if it motivates others to find the ministry God has for them. Nan, right now, or this past, these past months, has been teaching the girls about the Holy Spirit. In her preparation, she's done a lot of reading from A.W. Tozer and Charles Spurgeon for first and second grade girls. She said this, there's no truth too hard for them to learn. They just need it taught at their level. Nan prays for each girl by name. She's going to continue to do so, knowing God has plans and purposes for each one. Uh, One example is Nan taught Kim Contreras, Kim Taylor, many years ago. Kim now serves as one of our GO team partners in Fresno. The reason I came in a little bit late this morning into the worship service, because I was down on the lower level where they have a cake and are celebrating Nan. And uh, Patty Steele said, how many of you have been taught by Nan over the years? Because there's older kids in that large room. And so many hands went up. And I was standing next to Emma Janicek, and her hand went up as well. When I asked Nan what she's learned about serving, she said the issue is not, oh, this is so good, it's not our ability, it's our dependability. 
She said, I simply showed up. She goes, I, I'm not all that great. I, I just showed up and served and loved these kids. And as she reflected on her time teaching, she remarked, I had more joy than I ever could have imagined. So here's a question. Has God prepared you for some prepared work in our children's ministry? I mean, we're grateful that Polly Smith has stepped up to teach the first and second grade girls. I joked with her downstairs. I said, hey, Polly, I don't know if you're aware, but that position comes with a 62-year commitment. <laughs> but, but I'm serious. God is bringing a lot of young families to Edgewood, and we have significant needs in our nursery ministry, in our preschool ministry. We're looking for servants willing to serve once a month, and you could make a note on your connection card if you'd like to learn more. Speaking of children's ministry, we'll, we're still searching for our next children's director and are so grateful that Sheila will be continuing in her, in her role until God brings someone to us. We're holding on to this truth in our search, but God. <laughs> we were scheduled to have a meeting with Vanderblum, and that's our search partner on Thursday, but it was canceled because the Moline Airport was shut down. Our consultant was not able to fly here due to the fog. He did tell us that they've identified three candidates for our administrative pastor position, and he'll be presenting them to our leadership team in about a week. So if you're a born-again believer, you are God's workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So be on the lookout every day for what he has in store for you. Well, how, here's some things to keep in mind. Make sure what you're doing comes out of your being. So when we're growing in grace, then we can give out in grace, not because we have to, but because we want to. Working for God should be an honor, not a bother. Uh, when the English architect Sir Christ Christopher Wren was directing the building of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, some of the workers were interviewed by a journalist who asked them this question, what are you doing here? The first worker said, I'm cutting stone for three shillings a day. The second laborer replied, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this stinking job. The third guy replied, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build the greatest cathedral in Great Britain for the glory of God. Number two, small is often better than big. When God prepares a work for you to walk in, it might appear small to you. You might even dismiss it, but it is never too small to the Savior. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Number three, pray so you know what God has prepared for you. Maybe you could pray every day, God, what good works have you prepared for me to walk in today? How can I join you in your secret service team? Help me to see what you have for me and then help me to do it. By the way, many interruptions are actually hidden opportunities that God has prepared for us. Number four, walk across the room. A walk consists of two simple steps repeated over and over again. 
William Penn wrote, I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now and not defer or neglect it for I shall not pass this way again. Take a deep breath this week when you notice somebody and walk across the room. Send a text. Make that call. You could start today right after the service ends. Instead of talking to someone you already know, go up to someone you don't know and begin a conversation. And finally, number five, do the next right thing. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed and we make things so complicated and difficult, but here's a thought. When you see a need, simply meet that need if you can. Our high school students learn that at their fall retreat. Just do something. God saves dead sinners by his grace for his glory, leading us to deeds of service. So let's summarize what we've learned. We were dead in sin. He makes us alive with Christ. All of that to display his grace, to save us through faith so that we would do deeds of service. Your salvation has already been purchased. You don't have to try to pay for it yourself. You can't perform enough to achieve it. Why? It's a free gift of grace but it's not automatic. You must receive it. You must appropriate it by repenting of your sins and receiving the Savior who died in your place and rose on the third day. I love the lyrics to the song we sang earlier, your grace leads the sinner home from death to life forever. Your grace that reaches far and wide to every tribe and nation has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation. I wonder, are you ready today to make this your day of salvation? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I'm going to pray, and if what I pray uh, represents, puts into words what you're thinking today, you could say this prayer quietly. Lord Jesus, for way too long, I've kept you out of my life. I have been so influenced by the world around me. I've allowed Satan free reign in my life. And I've just been serving my flesh, my lusts, my appetites, my desires. And I confess that I am a dead sinner. And I'm headed for an outpouring of your righteous wrath. I don't want that. And so I repent of my sins, and by faith, I gratefully receive your gift of grace, your gift of salvation. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. So with all my heart, I believe you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins, and you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe and now I receive so that I can be born again and become your child. Enable me now to do the works you've prepared for me to do in order to give you the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you talk to somebody you came with or I'd be glad to chat with you after the service. Would you stand for our benediction? So relish in this truth, brother and sister. You are God's workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus 
for good works. And this week, walk in those works. Our worship service has ended, but our service of worship is just beginning. Walk in those works that he has for you this week as you live on mission for the fame of his glorious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.